It's easy to get lost. This is The Revenue Maze, and I'm Valerie Cobb. Join me as we navigate the halls, dead ends, and U-turns on your path towards upward growth trajectory. The Revenue Maze is sponsored by Revenue North Star, guidance and execution through fractional revenue leadership, uncovering hidden revenues, and empowering small business growth through process-driven sales customized to your company environment. Welcome everybody to another episode of The Revenue Maze. I'm super excited about today's guest. He has made it his mission to build an action-based ecosystem. Probably some, some of his roots coming stemming from some of his roots of being in purgatory from finance on the east coast i have been super excited about talking about him being from maine and colorado and loving the outdoors and we'll get into that just a little bit later he has started a company that is in the food and beverage strategy at rodeo cpg welcome ceo and founder Zachary D'Angelo. Zach, welcome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Great to be here. <laughs> Before we get into all the fun, exciting things about Maine, Colorado, purgatory of finance, and all this stuff that brought you to um, Rodeo CPG, we always answer one question in this show. Sure. What is one thing that you can do to help the listeners get out of the revenue maze? Yeah, and I, it's a great question right now. I think it's incredibly pertinent, uh, particularly in this sort of what's going on in the world and and how that translates to small business and, and investors and all of that. Um, and I think that the one piece of advice is to clearly define what your goals for success with your business are very early on um, and then being willing to be flexible around that um, in order to, to create and generate momentum uh, for the long haul. And I think that part of that is getting a clear understanding of, of how and when you can become profitable and create a really solid business that 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 actually generates positive cash flow. And that is something that some brands or companies had not been able to do up to this point. And in times like this, that becomes really, really hard for people um, you know, to figure it out on the fly. So so that's the the, the initial talking point that I'd say. Well, that is a lot to unpack. Um, I, a lot of the listeners, we talk about this all the time, that 99% of the businesses in the U.S. and the U.K. are small businesses. And the number one reason for failure is due to cash flow. So I love that you talk about goals. So and making sure that you're having that end goal in mind to keep the momentum going and all that kind of stuff. So could you do us a favor though? That is a lot. <laughs> so give us like three pointers. I mean, you're successful. We all need those pointers. That's why I love doing this podcast. I get great pointers for myself as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and again, success is sort of a, it's a general, you know, thing that to me is a moving target and, and success for one person might look very different for another. And all of that translates to what strategy you're trying to build out for your company. And, you know, an example is if you want to start a, you know, company that is scales to 
$150 million in the food and bev space, you have to be sure that you have a pretty robust uh, investing strategy plus a product that is really sort of, uh, uh, I, I guess, ideal for a, for a very large demographic versus a niche product, which means the price point has to be pretty low, which means your cogs have to be pretty low. Um, so, you, you know, and it, so that's one strategy. Or if you're a small business that just wants to grow a, a really beautiful niche product that is, um, you know, more suitable for a very small audience, then you probably wouldn't have to raise a lot of money. Uh, you have to be mindful of your cash flow, and and you know, it's just a in a different hiring strategy in all of it. But all of all of those components of a business need to align with that strategy. So uh, you know, that's again easier said than done, but but it is a lot of people just go into it without really thinking about what they want out of the business and what is meaningful to them and what is, what would constitute success in their mind, uh, you know, in three or five years or whatever the time frame it is. Yeah. I love that. I think, um, you and I have both been in some similar spaces, not, I, I haven't been in the food and beverage industry, so I'm not going to say that I've been in that space, but in the kind of, um, revenue space in the past where it it's it's kind of the whole I've used this on the show before it's the Alice in Wonderland thing and the Cheshire cat and she's asking well <laughs> where do I go and he goes well where do you want to go because then yeah. it doesn't matter where you go if you don't know what you you know and I, obviously that's a clunky clunky um summary of it but at the end of the day what you're saying is really it depends and you've got to define all of that, right? Yeah. You've got to define where you want to be and then work backwards. That builds the teams that builds the, who, you know, who are we targeting? Like what you run up against this all the time, a salesman is supposed to be hired. Okay. Well, what is my target? How do I get there? What am I doing? Right. And, and a lot of times you run into these smaller um, businesses or a lot of these startups or, you know, and it's not well-defined. They have like five, five steps for a go-to-market strategy. Cause everybody says, keep it simple, but there's very, it is simple. You've got to give it to a team in simplicity but when you're trying to bake out something five years in the future, I don't feel like there's much simple about that, right? I mean, there's a, there's a strategy behind it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a lot of times you can sort of um, assert guardrails and uh, parameters based on pretty back of the napkin math, you, you know, knowing that like, you know, if you're, and again, a lot of my context is going to come from the food and bev perspective, but if you know that your product is a sauce that costs $10 and velocities at stores are below one unit per store per skew per week, you yeah. know, if you like have in your mind that you're going to create a hundred million dollar business, I can very quickly show you that that's not possible with, you know, with those low velocities, with that high price point, with, you know, a presumed smaller audience. And, and you know, there are a lot of analogs to that very simple math that people can figure out. And, and that's not to say that, that you can plan explicitly what's going to happen over the next five years because you can't. 
but just being like, is this rational? And is there a logical hypothesis for this to happen? That's all I'm really talking about. It's not, it's not like, you know, creating the entire vision all at once. Cause the other, you know, piece of advice for an entrepreneur or, or founder or anyone really is, you know, there is always going to be a high element of unpredictability. So you're going to have to pivot and keep pivoting. And, you know, the most successful companies are just really good at shifting and changing and adapting um, because no one, almost no one gets it right at the beginning. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, no matter what sort of a drunkard's walk where you're just think you're going one way, then you don't, and then you got to go the <laughs> other way. You, know, you just have to be up for that. Yeah. I love the back of the napkin analogy. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it is simple math, that. but you run into people who are going, I just don't know where to go. So anyways, that's, that's one, I think that's been one of the biggest challenges is to say, well, theoretically, where can I go? You mm -hmm. know, and, and it's a simple question, but it took me, gosh, I don't, I don't know for just to create my why in business, it's taken me 20 years. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, and that's just because like you said, adapting things change, but, um, that came from a vistage leader and, but we're not going to get into me right now. What we're going to do is talk about some of the back of the napkin stuff and what you're doing today to help those that are, you know, you built obviously rodeo CPG based on some of this framework that you're talking about. Right. And so I'd love to hear not how you kind of came to it, a little bit of your, um, story of why, why did you start building this? I mean, that, what yeah. did you find in the marketplace? What was going yeah. on? Yeah. So, I mean, my, my background, as you said, I always say, you know, I spent some purgatory in finance. Um, <laughs> I was pricing credit default swaps in 2006 in New York, and that was a crazy time. And, and ultimately I just didn't enjoy it. I always loved food. So I went to graduate school in the hopes of figuring out what a career in food meant and ended up starting a gluten-free cereal company with a partner that had celiac. And uh, that was called Coco Mama Foods. And traveled around the country in various co-manufacturing facilities, learning the operational side of the business. And uh, along the way, met a friend who had started a baby food company. So I joined him in that effort and, and we grew Little Duck Organics uh, to about 20,000 doors across the country and ended up selling the business in 2014. I moved from New York to Colorado and ran sales for a natural pet food company called I Am Loving You. So had these various brand experiences and it always kind of been disappointed by the services infrastructure in food and beverage. There was like, you know, the experts, the advisors, there wasn't a lot of innovation in that support network, not a lot of data, not a lot of technology. Uh, so, you know, I started Rodeo to try to build that better operational model to help, you know, many brands grow more quickly and more efficiently. So that was how I got there. And, and then over the, you know, the past six years now we've been building the team and uh functionally we help all sorts of companies in three areas operations uh product development and sales management so those three things allow us to help brands in in sort of an integrated way and and help them navigate 
you know, the, the crazy world of retail and DTC and all of those things that apply to, to my industry. So that's kind of where I came from, the need that I saw and kind of where we're going. And, and you know, the fun part for me now is bi- building software to try to address some of these problems at, <laughs> at a greater scale. So we're in the midst of that as well. Oh, it sounds exciting. I, yeah, I could see how that that was definitely a need in the industry. So when we talk about that and how you got there, there's a backstory even further back in your history. You talked about finance, you talked about some of those things, but didn't you say you had a mother that was in catering and that kind of sparked? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, my mom always owned a catering company as a kid and and ran the company out of our, uh, we had a commercial kitchen in in our house uh, since I was little. So there were always cooks and chefs and and things going around and I was always in the kitchen. So learning to cook was always, you know, happened at a very early age. So, and then, you know, as, as, as I grew up, you know, just my appreciation for food never went away. I would always spend my last dollar on a great meal. That's still what drives me when I travel and all of those things. So food is very much a part of my life in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about kind of some of the formative years with that. So if you had advice, let let I, I, I love this type of thing. If you could tell your younger self, now that you're older, wiser, right? what is one thing that you would tell yourself to do, you know, differently? Yeah, I, you know, I'm a, I think that for me, like a lot of the, the intermediary steps were important to ultimately figure it out. So I don't, you know, that question's a little hard for me because I, I do believe that a lot of the trials and the failures and the successes all wrap up in, into who you want to be. You know, I, I, there are certain things like in college and high school, I wish I had been a little bit more dedicated and, and <laughs> I wish I had figured out what my passions were earlier on, but that's, uh, you, you know, that, and then going for it and, and realizing that, you know, the, the biggest impediment to entrepreneurship or anything really is that people have, I think, a tendency to be like, ah, that's too hard, or I can't, or I don't know even where to start. And, you know, there, there, we really do have the capacity to learn most things and, and figure it out. And it took me a while to, I guess, unleash my own, you know, realization or capacity in that way. And, and, you know, if my earlier self could, could grasp that, then that would have been wonderful. But since I didn't, uh, that's okay too. (laughs) I know it's a bit of a hard question because that is who we become, right? I mean, it's like, well, if you take, so I'm a big science fiction person. So if you take one thing out of the future, you know, one thing out of the past, it totally alters the future, right? And someone brought up a good topic uh, over the weekend and it was why, why do bad things happen to good people? Now, this was an interesting, an interesting what do you say, um, perspective on it. And his, his perspective was, well, define bad. Just because something is hard doesn't mean it was bad or wrong. Right. And, and like you said, if there's successes and failures, well, those failures are things that 
are they really failures or were they things that mold us into our learning journey? I, I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I'm not that, <laughs> not that good at it, but I, no, I totally get what you're saying. It can't, you got to where you are because of those life experiences. So you would probably, for me, I answer that question. I would probably enjoy the journey a little bit more for me, right? That that's one of the things, cause I'm a very, um, I get very focused in tunnel vision and I look back and go, wow, that was a great experience. But in the middle of it, I wasn't enjoying the journey all the time, you know? So well, I think a lot of us have that issue. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that there are always going to be a lot of things outside of our control. And, and while we don't control those things, we do control how we react to them. So, you know, I think that, and now is a good time to recognize that because now, at least in my industry, and I think it's going to it's going to be a bunch of industries. This is not an easy time, and there's a lot of uncertainty. And investors are getting a little spooked. The markets have obviously taken a hit. There are a lot of exogenous factors: wars, uh, shortages, price hikes, inflation, a lot of it. And and you know the ability to fight through that and recognize that it is hard, and there's no way it's not going to be hard. But that's part of it. Uh, I think is an important perspective to have, uh, especially if you're a small business owner or entrepreneur. Well, when we talk about some of those things, because recession, um, I was in a, vis no, it wasn't, it was great game of business, which is a methodology as well. Jack stack, those guys. Um, they always said there isn't a recession if you prep for it. Even in depression, there were lines of businesses that were excelling, right? So as we as we talk about some of that pivoting that you're talking about, that takes a lot of what I I think emotional fortuitous uh Fortitude. stamina. Yeah. Some, you know, because I'll use a little bit of analogy. One time I was um, working with a sales team in and they were in manufacturing and they were really down a, a against, you know, operations doesn't like us. We always hear that revenue against operations, revenue against operation, you know, that whole, you know, and, um, and so we sent out a company survey and I remember talking to the CFO and saying, you know, sales really has this extremely um, downtrodden look at what operations thinks of them, you know, and I, it, it's kind of, you'll hear that all the time. I heard it yesterday with one of my clients and we were talking um, and this CFO said something that was so important to me, especially during this time. And there was a post on LinkedIn yesterday that was also very, very relevant. Um, so he said, they're not looking at the data. They're doing everything from emotion. Right. And so when we got the surveys back, I went into the sales meeting with all of them and counted the times that they had complimented sales. And it was the whole demeanor of the group was totally changed. Oh, they don't, you know, one person says one thing and it's that whole one against 10, right? And so in the recession portion of it, when we start thinking about that, we're actually only two markers, apparently. I'm not an economist, you know? Um, and so I, I play one or I quote a lot of people, but 
the reality is there was only two markers that really say recession and everybody's all worried right now about a recession. And yeah, there is, there's, there's a war going on. There's all these things. I, in my years, there's always been something going on you know, and it never changes, right? There's always something somewhere going on that is, is not ideal, so to speak. And I love how you talked about pivoting because that, that, that speaks to your, um, stamina, your emotional stamina, right? It is what you need to do while you're going into the, the future for it. Uh, yeah. And I, and I think that, I mean, you're right. It's not easy for us emotionally to set a strategy and then have to recognize that we were incorrect and, and we have to move to a different strategy with the same enthusiasm and energy. It's even more hard to do that in an organization where you're getting a bunch of people to do that. Um, but if you're used to it and you practice, it becomes less of a emotional slog and much more of just a, a exercise and execution. So it's, it's just great. Like I'm not emotionally attached to that thing. It was uh, a, a hypothesis that we made. The hypothesis was incorrect. So we're going to readjust and create a new hypothesis and work against that and measure it and, and rinse and repeat. So that to me is very applicable in my business. It's very applicable to the businesses that we help. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm assuming small business at large, obviously is um, <laughs> bigger and bigger and bigger. That becomes hard because you've made capital investments. You've made human, you know, personnel investments. You've made all sorts of things that, you know, the larger you are, the harder it is to, you know, move the, the, the ship as it were. But that's why small business has such an advantage is that we are not constrained by and large by those huge capital investments, you know? Yeah. And it's the birthplace of some of the new lines of business because they can pivot. Mm -hmm. Small businesses can pivot very fast. But so as you talked about that pivoting and in, in your organization, what I liked is you said, I'm not attached. It was a hypothesis. Now we're moving. Mm -hmm. It's not an emotional attachment. And, um, I find that exactly what that CFO was doing is saying, it's not an emotional attachment, right? You, you need to see the numbers. You need to change what you're thinking because it's not real. It's kind of the, what I, I, I term the matrix effect, you know, <laughs> in the matrix, in the movie where they realize that it's not real, you know, and it's all this mind blowing stuff. So I, I like that a lot, Zach. Um, so people want to know what you like to do in your free time. Cause right now you're building obviously your company and mm -hmm. you're working through the dynamics of everything else that's going on with that. But what, what do you like to do? What are you passionate about? Yeah. So as you sort of mentioned, um, being outdoors is important to my wife, myself, our family, we're constantly biking, uh, in the summer, uh, mountain biking, road biking, um, we're swimming and playing tennis and all of those things staying active, which I think is really important uh, for for us mentally and probably a lot of people mentally, uh, especially if you're sort of in a high stress environment. And then in the winter, we're skiing. And so it's 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 all, you know, for us or, or uh, if I were to distill it down for us, it's outdoors, it's exercise, 
it's reading, it's traveling and eating. Like that's, that's not, <laughs> not, not that complicated. <laughs> well, it sounds like a heck of a lot of fun. And I didn't know you were a tennis player. I'm a tennis player too. I, we may have talked about that before and I've just forgotten, forgive me, but yeah. It, so who's your favorite player right now? Oh, I, well, you know, I, it's funny. I, I love, I don't watch a ton of sports. Uh, Nadal's great. Djokovic is, is a, a good villain to have, but also <laughs> incredibly talented. I think in tennis, some of the players now are some of the best that we've seen ever. And, and it's been remarkable how long the, those careers have been between Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, all of those guys. So it's a fun time. I'm sure that there are some new upstarts that I don't know about, but um, yeah, I, I, I do much more playing than I do watching. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually very much the same way. I I'll go and play any sport, but I, I don't love watching it, but I love I, I do love watching the opens yeah. and um, so, and I, and there's a lot of reasons why I like Federer as well. Just that's a whole nother story, but yeah, no, that's awesome. And then I hear that you have a beautiful son. <laughs> uh, yeah. Our son Dan is, is just about to be a two in October. So that's been a fun journey and, and uh, you know, in some ways the, the shift, toward remote and all of that rodeo has always been remote. So that wasn't much of a transition for us, but just uh, by and large, it's been a, it's been an, a time where we've spent more time, I think with our son than we otherwise would have. Uh, so that's a, that's one silver lining to the, to the past crazy couple of years. <laughs> all right. One last question. Um, well, there's never one last question, but one more question. Um, if you had a mentor, who would that be? Yeah, I have lots of mentors. I mean, I, I I think that we we seek mentors within our own family. So I have, uh, you know, my my parents, uh, my aunts and uncles have all you know been impactful in how I see the world and and how what I aspire to be and in, in the business that I want to create. Um, there are mentors in sports, as you know, that I have. Um, mm -hmm. Again, someone like Federer or Serena Williams or someone like that that's been able to, uh, I, I guess, compete at a high level for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. um, that's really great. I think in business, you know, people like Richard Branson are, are uh, just men or, or I, I guess um, people I look up to, someone who can have a ton of fun maintain huge businesses and also preserve a family life. It's things like that, that, you, you know, I look toward in, in terms of mentorship. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Oh, okay. So this really is the last question. <laughs> All right. People want to know about you and they want to know about Rodeo CPG and all of those things. How do they get a hold of you? Uh, super easy. So uh, there's a million forms on our website that you can contact. My personal email is just Zachary, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y at rodeocpg.com. Um, and, you know, I'm always available on LinkedIn. We generate a lot of content there. So uh, they're very accessible. So if, if <laughs> a question or, or uh, is interested in learning more, I'm, I'm very available. Oh, perfect. Well, Zach, 
Thank you so very much for being on this show. And I want to thank all those who are listening to the Revenue Maze. It has been another fantastic show. I, I, again, thank you all. If you, if you loved it, liked it, comment, all those things. Let's show Zach and his company some love there. And again, thank you, Zach, for being on the show. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It was a good time. <laughs> thank you all for joining another great episode. For show notes, links, and resources, visit RevenueMaze.com. And never forget, you are why 